Purple Maya, our specialty is providing cultural-based programming to learn technology and computer science. We are always looking for teachers, volunteers, and schools to partner with. But our programs aren't only for Keiki. Heard of the Purple Prize? We're accepting applications now for Kamaka Inana, a design and venture ideation program for adults interested in creating solutions that positively impact the Pai Aina. It's about shaping the way Hawaii designs for the future. Visit us at purplemaya or purpleprize.com for more info. Also, how major is this podcast? Keep up the good work, guys. So, simply, a teacher leader is not a boss. Uh, it's not; a, they're not a supervisor um, peer, and they invite others on journeys. Really make real devices and real things that would make a difference in the world. You know, you should be ingrained in what you're learning and don't be in the classroom. Let's go places. Let's go, you know, out in the field and interview people and talk to people. That I care about um, their passions and their interests that I want to spark their curiosity and uh, I want to empower them to find out whatever it is that they, what impacts they feel they can make um, on this world. You are listening to the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast. Here's your host, Josh Rapoon. Hey everybody, this is the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast. I'm your host, Josh Rapoon. We're here today with Doug Hugh, who is a educator at Kamehameha Schools, which has three campuses on three islands. And if I've got my numbers correct, Doug, I believe that Kamehameha Schools educates about 7,000 students. Is that correct? Yeah, that is. Welcome to the show, Doug. Thank you for having me. So, Doug, um, I'm going to go a little bit outside the box here with this particular interview. And and I'm I'm a little nervous myself because of the extent that I'm going to go outside the box. And we're doing radio here, so um, hopefully this won't crash and burn. But... um, I'm, what I'd like to do during you know the next 30 or 40 minutes is to um, sort of engage in what I'm calling a public exhibition of learning. Um, and the reason why I want to take that approach is because of the materials that you provided for me in advance of today. So you actually gave me a site, um, which is your site, and you gave me all access to that site. So I'm going to dig into that. And what we're going to do along the way is treat you as a student who is publicly exhibiting his learning. You get where I'm going with this? Yeah. And we're going to dig into the different parts of it. For sure. And we're going to find out who you are and and what you can do and what you know. Sounds great. So, um, Doug, I want to start by talking about Manny Alo Williams, who, if if you go to your site and you click on Home, that's the first thing that any visitor to your page sees. So um, why, when I click on your or your website homepage, is there a reference to Manny? Why is there a eulogy there to him and the various photos and the tribute video that you posted? Um, it's just something that will live in my heart. Uh, it was a relationship that I developed with a, a young man. Um, he was in the sixth grade. Um, I remember the first time I met him was outside my um, classroom at Waimanala Intermediate mm-hmm. um, and Elementary School. We call it Weiss. Yeah. Um, and it, it could be a volatile place at times. It's a rough neighborhood. Um, the socioeconomic status and demographics are such that it's primarily Native Hawaiian. Um, you're talking about kids that are coming from, not not primarily, but uh, in most cases, broken families, single-parent households. I mean, home, we had a homeless population there um, where literally they were coming from the beach and uh, their basic right. needs weren't being met. 
Manny wasn't that kid. Um, he had a, a good family um, from as I knew them and from the interactions I had. Um, I just remember being able to almost look into his heart. Uh, he seemed like he was... He was shy. He was timid. Um, I remember asking him, hey, what's up, brother? What's your name? And uh, he just gave me this kind of this this gentle smile with this humble look. And uh, mm-hmm. I just something about his uh, his disposition drew me to him. And uh, it, it, <clears throat> he was my in a, as a sixth grader, he was my gardening student. So there was a garden at Wyman All Intermediate that was overgrown when I got there. I was uh, just to back up a, a, a quick minute. I was actually a student there myself um, okay. as a. Uh, a sixth and seventh grader. I did half of sixth grade, my sixth grade year there, and half of my seventh grade year there. And I remember that garden. Um, I remember it producing corn and whatnot. And uh, it was just crazy because I had ended up back at that school and I was teaching in the same classroom I remember sitting in as a um, what I call a disenfranchised child or student. Um, but Manny was my garden student and. Um, seventh grade I taught seventh grade social studies there uh, history of the Hawaiian kingdom pacific island studies geography and he became my seventh grade student um I got to know him real well I mean he um he struggled with his academics he struggled to fit in uh the um the culture there amongst students was such that it it could be a um, a difficult place to fit in given I guess the the negativity that could could be um, it was being exhibited by specific kids, not because they were mean people, but because they had tough childhoods. They were in pain. They were hurting. And um, as a as a student who was in that same position, I remember projecting my pain and projecting my hurt. And when I seen other kids that had it good, I I almost wanted to bring them along because, uh, as the saying goes, misery loves company, but not just any type of company. It loves miserable company. Mm. And so um, it, it can be hard in that sense where the kids are uh, can create that environment because of all the pain in the, in the demographics of the community and the school population as well. But so um, seventh grade passed. I got to know him real well and uh, build a relationship with him. And then eighth grade came, and he was my gardening student again. But um, what was different this time was that he came back and he... Um, he, when he was leaving his seventh grade year, he said he had to have surgery. He had a limp, uh, so he um, something with his hip. So he told me that before he left seventh grade year. Then when he came back in eighth grade year, he had the surgery. And he, I remember him expressing to me how scared he was, and um, mm-hmm. I would ask him questions like, "Hey, how you doing? How, how, how are things going?" And uh, I just I could feel it, you know. And I, and he he would try and confide in me, but it was uh, it, it was hard for him to articulate himself as a seventh grader, obviously. Um, and so he came back eighth grade year in a wheelchair, uh, said he had the surgery, um, said he needed, so he was in a wheelchair, and I, I was kind of surprised. And then um, he said he needed another surgery. Uh, he was with me maybe about three weeks, uh, and he was in my gardening class, so we were pushing him up there and trying to get him involved and wow. make sure that he could get in the garden with us because he was now in a wheelchair. And so um, uh, he said he, he just kind of said he, had, he needed another surgery, and he disappeared. Um, you know, uh, we didn't see him. Probably a couple months passed, and I asked the teacher next door to me, hey, like, have we seen Manny? Um, I think before he left, he told me that the doctors had discovered cancer in his bones as they were re-breaking his hip and trying to put it back together. I, I believe that was the procedure. And so, um, yeah, I didn't see him. I, I heard he had that the doctors had found cancer. I, I can't remember if it was through his mom or him, but a couple months passed. I said, hey, I don't see him. Where is he? And uh, I told the teacher, I'm just like, you know what, let's go find him. Like, let's go find out where he is. I, I just really wanted to know. 
So I did. I contacted the mom. Um, I set up a visit. She said, come by. And when I walked in to his house um, in um, the Waimanalo Village, um, which is right behind our school, I didn't recognize him. He was uh, bald. I guess he was going through chemo at the time, so he had lost his hair. And um, he was on a hospice bed. Mm. Um, And so, like, I just, uh, yeah, it was super powerful. And uh, I just remember uh, telling the teacher there, like, hey, no one knows about this. Like, if I didn't know, like, no one knows. And even as I sat with him and I looked at him on his bed, I mean, he just looked like a a, a fraction of what uh, he had even left. And he was a skinny, very frail boy, so imagine. um, And so I seen him and I was like... (laughs) Uh, I gave him a hug and I was crying in there and um, I left and I, I told the teacher, we got to do something. I don't know what we're going to do, but we got to let people know what's happening. Um, and so <laughs> I came up with this plan. I was like, you know what? Just we're, uh, get me a trifold board, like a big science trifold board. And I said, um, right. let's just let's just uh, have all the kids sign it and then let's um, let's make this message. And I, I had the wow. educational assistant in my class be like, hey, can you? I asked her, hey, you can draw nice. I, I remember her doodling all the time and I said, you could draw nice, right? Hey, can you make a sign that says we love you, Manny? And she just made this incredible sign. She, she, she did that centerpiece um, where it says we heart you, Manny. And then I just had all the kids um, come in and sign it. I had all these different Sharpies, and they wrote messages. And what I, what I, what I wasn't in tune with was how close they already were with him. Right. Despite the, the trouble and the, uh, the tough type of upbringing these kids had, they were very tight, and they all shared, that was the one commonality that they had that they could share together. Right. And if you overlooked that, you know, that would be to your demise as a teacher because these kids backed each other up. Yeah. And so without me really having to try, the motivation was there for them. When I told them what was going on, I just was like, hey, look. I was like, look, Manny's not doing well. I'm like, I went to visit him, and uh, uh, it was just, uh, it was organic. And they started, they started, they started signing. We had this big sign. So I told the mom. I called her up. I'm like, hey, look. Um, I was like, whoever wants to come with me. I said, I didn't know who was gonna come. It was just me. So I was like, look, whoever wants to come, just come. I couldn't have imagined what turned out. And um, I called the mom, and I was like, hey, look. Um, we're coming down there to your guys' house. Uh, we got some kids. They want to come. We got something we want to give Manny. Kids started bringing gifts. I mean, it turned into like this crazy. Yeah, that's uh, the video. That yeah, you posted the, so that video is really interesting in that. Um, so I'm. Oh my gosh. So it's like a. It's like a parade. It's like a. It's like a march. It was crazy. So it happened at the beginning of um, the day when I'm signing. By the end of the day, I'm like, okay, I've got you know 50, 60 kids standing around me. I got teachers that are hearing about this just on the spot, and obviously this uh, movement grew within a, like literally a day. And uh, I'm on the phone with the mom. I'm like, hey, we're coming down. You know, we're supposed to meet. And she's like, we're at the hospital. He's doing, he's going through chemo right now. So they're at um, the local hospital. And so I'm like, hey, okay. I mean, this just, we got to make this work. I got all these people depending. So we, we go, we walk, we line the streets that front his house. And um, we're waiting for them on the side of the road. And you know, all the students are like, oh, Mr. Hugh, like, where's Manny? You know, because it's like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And I'm like, don't worry, guys. I'm on the phone with his mom. I'm like, hey, where are you guys? She's like, we're passing 7-Eleven. And then the sister was in the car with the phone. So she was videotaping the whole time. So they pulled right. in, and then that's where the whole video happened. And uh, it was just such a magical moment in, yeah. in what transpired. Um, ultimately, two months later, he passed. And... Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, the dad came and we made a bench for him, and that was a memorial that you saw. And um, right. it, 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 you know, yeah. it was a beautiful. It was Broncos colors because that was his favorite team. 
Um, mm-hmm. And it, it was kind of a memoir that, that that helped me and my gardening class. We all we all contributed and, and, and cemented that. That st- still stands there today in his memoir, and I'm sure his family visits it frequently. So if your if your site dug is like a, it's like a living or an, an alive, a very alive resume. What you've put front and center is something very important, which is a connection that you had with a student um, and with a particular event where um, it seems to me a lot of empathy and compassion and kindness came up to the surface and was publicly ex- exhibited by the, yeah. by the community it as got well. a, the, 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 um I think the sister put it out, and I think it, it had like almost 5,000 hits on Facebook, which I was like, wow. you know. Right. So it was, it was a right. great moment for the community, I think, as well. So um, before we go to break, wow, we've already gone a, a little ways here. Before we go to break, um, I want to just have you talk a little bit, you know, briefly about the incredible visual quality or qualities of your site. Like as I was going through page after page, it's just everything is visual. And I'm wondering why in your particular case, where somebody else might have had a lot of text, you had a lot of visuals. Because it's about it's about what the students produce and capturing that. Um, I think as teachers, we're measured by how how much we can lift our students to success, um, how much we can lift them to accomplish the great things or help them accomplish the great things that n- not even they think are possible. I don't even know that it's possible until it becomes, it becomes. And really? um, yeah. yeah, so I just, I, I captured everything because I'm just so amazed with what, they, what they're able to do. I mean, they surprise me all the time. They surprise themselves. And then when you hear their growth through their through their perspectives through their words through their um experiences uh, it's just something that motivates me that turns me um I, mm-hmm. I, sometimes i think of, i i think i you could call me like bullet train dog like once you point me in the right direction and then i see that i mean like if you're we're, going. we're going like we're just gonna go and it, it's a it's a blessing and a curse sometimes you know but um at the end of the day i just wanted to capture the students because that's what we're measured by. I mean, I, I think that that's how a teacher right. should evaluate themselves and um, is by what they can they can help mm-hmm. their students accomplish. And how do we even know if we don't actually put up evidence of what it is that they're doing, right? I mean, yeah. so everybody stay with us. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with the second part of our conversation with Doug Q. Back in a moment. Hi, I'm Tyler Kern from Market Scale. We're excited at the arrival of a new podcast series out of Hawaii titled What School Could Be in Hawaii. Market Scale is thrilled to be partnering with Josh Rapoon on this project and can't wait to hear the insight and thought leadership he brings to EdTech. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can hear it and others over at marketscale.com. You click on industries at the top of the page and then scroll down to EdTech. Hope to see you there. Hey, everybody, we're back. This is the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast. Doug, um, from your bio page, um, I learned that you had, and also through a conversation that we had prior to today on the phone, I, I learned that you had a tough childhood. You, you moved a lot. You were an athlete. You have four children. You have an awesome wife. Um, and much more, actually. Um, so I know where you're from here on this island, but my question is a different one. It's actually, Doug, where are you coming from? I'm just, um, I'm coming from a place of despair. I come from places that um, some at times could seem like there was lost hope. Um, 
a situation where there was where I was trying to figure out who I was, how I what I was good at, um, how I related to others, a uh, place of shame. I, I call it embarrassment, um, but hope in the end of the day that I had uh, a, a right to self-determination and to changing, uh, I guess, the life I was, I was put through as a child. Um, and I, I often think about would I be where I am today if I didn't go through those experiences, you know, which I so um, despise and uh, at times hold against, you know, um, yeah, hold against or have bitterness toward my parents and whatnot. Um, but at the end of the day, I feel like that's what made me who I am, and so I guess I guess to embrace it and to um, to harness that. Um, I I come from a place that um, I I'm a I'm a local OEV. I mean I'm a native son of the land. I uh, I'm only starting now to find out really who I am and um, mm-hmm. it, w- why I was <laughs> what I'm good at and why I was put here on this earth. Um, and, and, and how I can relate and what impacts I'll have. And uh, these are the same things I often try to help m- my seventh graders um, discover. Mm-hmm. But really, I'm trying to discover as a 36-year-old. I'm just starting to discover as a 36-year-old. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking they got a great head start if I can help them do that earlier in their lives. Mm-hmm. So where you're coming from is actually from a place where you're just starting to understand who you are. <laughs> pretty much. That's, that's a pretty awesome idea. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, it's crazy. So, Doug... Um, I clicked on the next link on your page. And again, we're kind of doing a public exhibition, sure. right? So I clicked on the next link, which was your philosophy. It was labeled philosophy. <laughs> and what I expected is what would happen 99% of the time when you click on somebody's web page and you click on philosophy. Yeah. What I expected was like a series of paragraphs of words in which you were explaining what your philosophy of education mm-hmm. is. And instead, what I what I found was like a Alice in Wonderland page of just craziness. It was like course syllabi over here, quest projects over here, reflections over here, forms, OEV, learning goals over here. It was just like, and it was amazing. And there was more exclamation points on that page than, you know, like 20 books written uh, about awesome subjects. And so... This was like a, it was like, to me, it was like a tremendous public exhibition of learning from you. Um, But out of that, I wanted to pull your actual philosophy of education because it wasn't specifically written on that page. Mm -hmm. So what is your philosophy of education? I mean, to put the kids at the center of everything that, that, that we do, that I do. um, Well, since I've um, gotten into Kamehameha, I mean, I, the, the, the Kalauga, the, the Kalaula program has been instrumental in um, shaping and in shaping me as an educator, and then uh, about innovating my practice and becoming better. I mean, because at the end of the day, that's all I wanted to do was um, be the best I could be at um, mm-hmm. at my profession. And so, I guess my philosophy it, it it is a mesh of different philosophies put together. I mean, if mm-hmm. you talk about um, Katie Martin, the Susan B. Edwards, Ruby K. Payne was an instrumental author in her book uh, Achievement for Success: How to Educate Middle School Kids in Poverty. It was a paradigm shift that I had in that um, wow. what like uh, as an educator, you start off becoming you start off bec- like being the thing that you despised as as an educator. Uh, I was having kids read from the books, um, take Cornell notes, answer worksheets. And I was just catching cracks in the classroom like kids hated me. I was the most um, I was the most I'll say for what it is. I was the most hated teacher on campus in terms of through the kids eyes and. I couldn't figure it out. Like I got into education because I wanted to be the change that I wish I had. I, I, I really was never good at education. I 
I um, was always feeling inferior and like um, I didn't add up. And uh, the only place that I really could exceed and excel was through sports. My family life was in shambles. When I came to school, it was just more disappointment and more failure and more that I that I can. And it was mostly through the traditional um, the traditional lens of education. And I realized that now as a teacher that there weren't any teachers that I could connect with. There weren't any teachers that I cared that I felt cared about me. And if I did feel that, I was just ready and willing to just wreak havoc, um, for right. lack of a better term. I just was, re- I was really angry. Yeah. I was angry, but I was also, um, I was also looking and yearning and looking for role models because um, I didn't have any in my life. Um, but ultimately, I was at this point where I wanted to quit teaching and um, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't figure it out. I just, I, I, would, I would shut my doors at recess and at lunch and I would lock the students out and, and lie on my desk and look up at the, at the rafters and think like, what am I doing here? Like, I just would try to get through the day. And I was telling my wife, you know, I, I want to find another job. I want to become a police officer because that's kind of what I wanted to be coming out of high school. And then I was I, I went to the AMLE website, um, the, the Association for Middle Level Education. And I just started saying I, I I actually said to myself I had an epiphany and I said I want I want to change my direction. Like I I don't want to. There was this boy. There was a, a woman I'll never forget. Um, he hated me and I I disliked him and I was acting just as much a kid as he was back toward him and. Um, yeah, uh, he he just looked up at me with a wet face and uh, you know with passion in his eyes and told me he hated me in front of his uh, sped teacher who who he, who he was an inclusion student in my class and at the point my mindset was like well I, that doesn't that doesn't matter I mean I'm not here for you to like me I'm here because I'm the master and you're the grasshopper and it just was such a backward approach to teaching and what could be called even a traditional approach to teaching in that we don't listen to the student's voice and we don't give them um, choice and empower empower and tap into their their passions and their interests and really find out and that empathy for who they are so I just found this book by Ruby K. Payne and it was that achievement for success how to educate middle school kids in poverty and I was like sitting there thinking this it spoke to me right away and I got into it and in her book she started talking about the cerebral development of a of a of of an adolescent at this age and she was saying um in the book she was saying your prefrontal cortex which is the control center of the brain and it's responsible for all your decision making processes and um critical thinking that doesn't develop in a kid until they're um under pristine circumstances until they're about 23 years old right. um but if you put stressors on them poverty lack of food violence um l- lack of sleep um then it might not develop to their 29 however their limbic system which is controlled for their emotions is developed when they're 13 so it would be the equivalent of a high-powered race car with no brakes when they come into class there's a student who says something about their mother they're going through these things at home their emotions are instantly activated and they're not able to think about Right. If they grab that book and whip it across the classroom and it almost hit someone in the eye. My approach before I read this book was to condemn, criticize, and complain about the kid. But once I realized that they really had no control over it, I felt this wave of remorse and this wave of like, mm-hmm. it was me, you know, it was me having to change my approach. And once I did that, my approach went from condemning, complaining, and, and criticizing to, hey, uh, can, I, can I talk to you for a second outside? And the kid might sit there for a second and, um, you know, I just keep teaching and I'd look back at him and yeah. five minutes later, I don't see him. I walk outside and the first thing I ask him is, hey, um, How are you doing? how's everything? Right. Are you, did you eat this morning? Right. How's mom and dad? And like, they would look at me like, wow. Wow. like they, they were expect, they weren't expecting that. And then I said, hey, 
you know, we had kind of a, a nice area for them to ch- just sit outside and be calm. And I mean, it would get crazy in my class at times and everyone's class, all the teachers there deserve so much credit. But, um, so it, your, so your, your philosophy of education, it, it shifts in this mode. Maybe there isn't one before, but it shifts to student centered in a way that allows you to open up to them and to start to gather information from them. Right? Well, yeah, Dr. Yeah. Payne said you should, uh, if their essential needs aren't being met, how can you expect their academic needs to be met? And I knew their essential needs weren't being met. So I started to cater to that. Right. And I started to cater to those 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 things that, that every human has in them that they want to feel valued. And I started making them feel valued and everything changed. So today, Doug, in 2019, um, in your position now at Kamehameha Schools, like um, what are, what are, Briefly, what are some of the promises that you're making to your kids now? And they might not necessarily be promises that you're putting up there on a site or that you're even saying to them, but in your mind, what is it that you're promising your kids? That I care, Mm -hmm. that I care about um, their passions and their interests, that I want to spark their curiosity and uh, I want to empower them to find out whatever it is that they, they, what impacts they feel they can make um, on this world Um, and that we're going to have fun that we're going to not have it all figured out. As, as Dr. Uh, or Auntie Kukuhakalao said, uh, the teachers don't have to pretend to be the experts anymore. We learn together. We learn alongside one another and that um, that we're kind of going to go on this quest or this journey together and um, it's not a perfect science. So one of the things that's really crazy about this moment, Doug, is that um, as I was going through everything that was in this Alice in Wonderland place that I had wandered into, right? When you say... You know, I want the kids to have fun. And when you say I, I, I'm, I'm now my philosophy and my promise to them is to care about them, it's easy to use words. It's easy to say those words. But what I was looking at in these multiplicity of videos that were up there was just and all these exclamation points and what the kids were doing was that there's visual evidence that they're having fun. Yeah. Like your kids are digging into s- deep, serious subjects but they're engaged and they're having fun. And for middle school students to be engaged in that way, it must be just such a trip for their brains. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, I use the the information. I mean, it's not it's not me. I'm just following the research. I'm just out there hungry to get better. And you get better through your, your, your research and then applying that research to the field. It's almost like I'm in the design thinking process, just constantly iterating, yeah. empathizing, ideating, sharing, um, and testing, iterating. Up prototypes, yeah. testing them. And then, and then asking for their feedback I mean because what they I I feel like that's where a lot of teachers make mistakes is that I am very very in tune with what my students are saying because if there's any credence or credibility or justification or um, coherence behind why they feel that a change should be made in my class I am all ears because it's only it's a co-created classroom and it what the product that ends up happening is something that we both want and so it's kind of like Mm -hmm. an agreement that we're making and and they buy in and um it's just crazy how fast things have changed. Yeah, you know, for sure, for you know. sure. Hey, Doug, and everyone out there listening to this episode, stay with us. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk to Doug about um, a number of things, including Mauna Kea. We'll be back. Imagine a place where students use media, creativity, communication, and critical thinking to make stories come to life. A place where authentic audiences are enlightened by the kids who live there. Hawk Media Productions at Kealakehe Intermediate School, located in Kona, Hawaii, is an example of that place where students strive daily for the summit. 
From school broadcasts, Hikino stories, community spotlights, and now podcasts, Hawk Media Productions hopes to inspire other schools to get involved in meaningful learning in the community and the world. Believe it or not, all schools have the students, teachers, and community partners to be the spark for what school could be in Hawaii. Hey everybody, we're back. This is the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast. And we're here with Doug Hugh, who is an educator at Kamehameha Schools here on Oahu at the Kapalama campus. Um, so Doug, um, I think pretty much everybody who might be listening to this episode um, off in the future um, after it gets edited um, will know about what's happening on Mauna Kea. And it's certainly not my intention today um, to wade into the debate about Mauna Kea. But um, as I move through your site from home to to uh, philosophy, and then um, there were a series of links across the top that mm-hmm. were all ultimately uh, quests. Yeah. And um, the first one that I clicked on, which is where I spent the most time, was the one um, about Mauna Kea. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I want to talk about, not about the debate itself, but I want to talk briefly about your preparation hmm. in putting the quest hmm. together. Mm-hmm. And that, again, what I was looking at was a sometimes very chaotic, but sometimes just a, it's like a, like a wild garden that isn't actually that wild of different things that were happening yeah. related to the quest. So mm-hmm. again, briefly, like what was, what's the quest about? What was the intent of the quest around Mauna Kea? So the quest came from an idea that I got when I, we got to go on the Kealaula, um, uh, I guess, uh, professional development trip in Silicon Valley or San Francisco. And look, we, we, we visited a school called Millennial um, Middle mm. School. Uh, Chris Baum was his name, and he, invent- he, he had two years to create this school, and uh, we got to speak with him through um, phone conference. And he said kids at this age, through his research, he went to different continents and looked at what education could be like mm. in developing this ideal school that we were sitting at in his fourth year of conception. And he said what he found was that kids are trying to learn three things, who they are, mm at this age, at this specific adolescent age, how they relate to others and what they will contribute to this world. So I thought it was amazing. Wow, that's um, where those three questions Yes, come it's from. an identity piece, a relation piece, and an impact piece. So right. that I feel like that's what everyone's trying to figure out throughout their lifetime, and it's changing constantly. So the kids who are seventh graders, that's what they're trying to do. But he, he also said something that was keen was that it takes like six weeks or more to dive deep into something. Right. Too often we're concerned about coverage and superficial type of coverage, but we dive deep. So we take a whole quarter's time and essentially it, we dive into the, I got this idea from I, when we visited the Embarcadero IDEO, the innovations firm where they do design thinking. And so the kids just get to lead their own their own learning. I mean, they literally, um, so what I do is I start with the quest monarchy was how, um, why is monarchy important? Uh, how do I relate to Monica and what will I contribute to Monica? And so we co-constructed s- we whole ike. So in six weeks, I told the kids we're gonna have this whole ike, and um, which means uh, a show. So it's uh, obviously there are we are Hawaiian learners um, mm. by blood at Kamehameha, um, being that you have to be some portion of Hawaiian to get in. Um, and so what they were able to do was they were able to really just go out and empathize. empathize so find the research, um, find out both sides from the TMT side and from the uh, the KIA side. They were able to work in groups, pick their own groups. Um, when they picked their own groups, they ideated collaboratively about, uh, we co-constructed these 16 criteria and we said in uh, my rubric, which is the highest part of our rubric is uh, the Kulia. 
uh, portion of your rubric where you're achieving, um, you're meeting and exceeding your goals and standards and you are achieving academic success, learning at very high levels. And we said, well, what does that look like? If we're going to do a hoik in six weeks, what does a kulia, which means striving for excellence, what does that look like in a ho'ike? So we came, the kids came up with all these ideas like, okay, well, wow. you definitely have to present both sides of the, the, the um, argument. You have to have good eye contact projection. You have to have uh, expert testimony, which is where we got local artists to, local artists to come in, including Kalana Ku, which was totally driven by the kids. So they contacted Kolohekai, Kalana Ku, um, some other local musicians, and, and wanted to uh, get their opinions about it. Um, and so they would ask me, and I never answered their questions with answers. I always answer their questions with yeah, questions, drive them nuts, which sure is really fun. Well, it's fun. It's totally fun it because is. I'm like, I don't know, can you? Well, how can you find out? Well, what would be the best option? And, and yeah. you just see them, like, these wheels start turning, and it's just fun. It's fun to watch because... It takes all the pressure off of you as a teacher, and therefore you can direct your pressure to just kind of guiding them with questions. And so they'd be like, well, I don't know how it's important to me. I'm like, how can you find out? Well, who can you ask? Well, what resources are there for you? And so it really forces them to think. So after six weeks' time, I mean, we went through trying to organize all of their projects within our schedule and make sure that, I mean, it was a lot of pressure because you had to think about, well, what classes did you have six weeks from now? And you're talking about four different classes with 20 kids in them. Um, they were grouped. And so we had to, but it was all student led. Um, they, re they reached out and it was just uh, the products that came back were what you saw. And it was just kind of amazing. And their reflections were, were really were profound. Which I, I read quite a few of them and they were <laughs> profound. There yeah. was a lot of really interesting thinking that was coming through. And you, you actually remind me of this moment that I had when I was a teacher at La Pietra High School for Girls, where I had been grading kids on their papers, you know, like any teacher would be doing, um, putting the comments up. And basically the, the number or the grade that I would give them was something that I would assign, but I don't think that they particularly knew how I got to that point. Right, right. And then there was this magic moment where I decided to open it up and we had a, we spent a whole class session, 80 minutes working on a rubric for what makes a great paper, hmm. a good paper, right. a great paper, yeah. a really excellent paper. Mm -hmm. And the students and I constructed this rubric. And then at the end, the last thing I said to them was, okay, well, so this is how I'm going to be grading your papers. And they were like, oh no, why did we do right, this with him? Right, now right. we know exactly what we have to do, you know, well, I everything became evident to them i usually ask them is there like are, are we before we we set that in stone i'm like so does anyone have anything that they disagree with right does anyone have anything that they'd like to change because once we lock this in this is ours and so there's really no pushback at all when you're talking about giving them that final assessment but mm -hmm. even furthermore i let them assess themselves and tell me what they think they deserve and then we kind of just work it out from there so so doug on again on your side and again staying within the quest itself um, I, there's like literally a hundred questions I want to ask you about even this particular section. Um, so the two questions, one is briefly, what are the ways that you and your students co-created or brought in together art, science, music, history into this social studies project? Um, it was what they wanted. It was, it was about where they, they wanted. They, I mean, yeah, I would just suggest things that, I mean, I, I, I always ask them if you're an audience member, and you're watching a presentation, like, what would you rather have? Mm, like, what right. would you what would you want to see? And so they're like, would you want to see someone just talking for for 60 minutes or 30 minutes? Or would you want to see visuals? So we kind of, we just ask questions about it. And, um, you know, what ends up coming to be are things that, that they construct, things that they want, things that they've always yearned for that I think we've always yearned from. But really at the core essence of it is like, what are you good at? Right. Like, w whatever that is, let's bring it in. And it seems like, 
you have become that student as well because yeah. your whole site is not a traditional approach to putting up information about yourself. You're putting up in front of people bits and pieces of evidence of work that you're doing with the kids, right? I mean, I, that's what it's all about. Right. And that's that's not, I'm, what I'm saying is that's not typical. That's why I had such a reaction hmm. to kind of wandering into this Alice in Wonderland place was just everywhere I looked, there were bits and pieces of things that were profoundly interesting. And you could spend a whole like day just going through a series of videos and finding things like so it's pretty cool. So I, again, because time is short, I want to ask you a couple more things. So um, I, I read through one of the final project reflections mm -hmm. that you really featured. Mm -hmm. um, and I won't say the student's name. Let's just mm -hmm. call her Kelly. Thank you. Um, but um, let's say that I'm her father and mm -hmm. I'm with you here sitting in a little conference room mm -hmm. and you're her, her Kumu her teacher. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I haven't read the reflection yet, and mm -hmm. you've got it here in front of us on the table, right? right? Um, but you give me a chance here to ask some questions as her father. And I say, Doug, like, what did you ask her to reflect on? Even before I read her reflections, what were you asking her to reflect on? Mm -hmm. um, I guess it was just, um, w w like, I think uh, Christy had mentioned earlier about her project that she had the kids come into and she had this vision of what it looked like to her and I had this vision of what I thought their learning experience looked like to me but I really want to know right. what your perspective on it was because a lot of times what I think happened in through their eyes I'm completely wrong about so I just want to know how you felt you grow, grew what skills and what knowledges do you feel like you acquired mm -hmm. and I want to hear it from their perspective because if it comes back and they're saying I didn't learn anything or this wasn't important to me then I want to try and understand why because that helps me grow in return uh, is really trying to understand what their feedback is because if I if I fail to listen to that then I just become stagnant in what I'm doing and at the end of the day um, I just feel like they're their opinions, I, I, I don't feel like I, I, it, it matters. Um, and so I would just say that, um, w you know, they're not going to lie and you can't buy their feedback no matter what you can't. You, I mean, you, maybe you could give them a million dollars and they, they, they tell you what you want to hear, but it's not going to be genuine. So to have genuine feedback where the kids are saying like all oh, the things that they're saying, like this was amazing. I grew this way, that way. I feel like I got to collaborate it's just so validating for me and it, it, it charges me up to keep going in that direction and to right. keep iterating and making it better. So the second question, I'm still her father. The second question is like, again, briefly, like who is my daughter? Like what did you learn about her in the reflections that she offered to you? That um, she's a lot smarter than maybe I initially gave her credit for. She's capable of a lot more, um, just humbled. I guess, humbled by the, uh, I guess, uh, the way that they show connection or the way that um, uh, we, we connected and uh, the relationship that we, build, we built through this project. And I guess through their opinion of what type of teacher you were, because at the end of the day, what they say is what matters. And that's everything in terms of uh, whether or not I have to change or I have to um, keep going in the same direction is based off of their feedback. So it's so critical for me to listen to my students because at the end of the day, um, if they're saying that what you're doing is working and that it's transformational, like who's going to disagree with that because mm -hmm. it's real and it's from them. And so 
So, so I'm going to do something right here at the very end that that might be way, way out out of the box, and I don't know if it's going to work. But Doug, I'm going to step out of that role as her father, and I just want to have a conversation with you as a teacher, and me, the person having a conversation with you. Is it possible that we can just drop the whole grades thing right here and now? Oh my gosh! Yeah. Like, let's just stop here at the reflection, and let's stop here with me looking at all of the visual work that's up there where I can see her, I can see her and I can hear her and I'm understanding her and I'm understanding her more because of our conversation. Um, is it possible that we can just say, no, no, there's no need to issue a grade here. I've heard what you had to say about her. I think so. If you, um, if you ask that, if you give the child a voice, you give the student a voice because they're going to tell you what they think they deserve. So um, you look at a proficiency scale where uh, a student is meeting and exceeding, they're sol or or they're solid and they're they're meeting the expectation and standards, but they kind of I guess they stop there. Uh, they could be usually there. Um, meeting whatever goals they set out to meet and they're growing but either way through this process they're growing so it's like how can you tell a kid who's been trying or who's been um, you know doing their best and uh, who's experienced like, it's just it, it's it's very difficult but what I do is I I I have their voices included and we co-construct what they think their grade should be right. and um, at the end of the day I just I wish we could get rid of grades I, yeah. yeah at least you're asking them to uh, you're, you're including them and they really appreciate it. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, but it's something that we all have to adhere to as teachers, so. Doug, normally in these episodes, I ask every um, guest to answer the question what school could be, but I feel today that this entire conversation and everything <laughs> that I did to prepare for it and everything I looked at is a pretty epic answer to <laughs> what you think school could be. So, Doug uh, Hugh from uh, Kamehameha Schools, Kapalama Campus, it was super privilege for me to talk to you today. Thank you for being on the Thank show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Coming up next on the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast, Christy Federley, Maui Campus Director at Hawaii Technology Academy. Find the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher, as well as at mltsinhawaii.com. Join the ongoing conversation across social media. Look for Most Likely to Succeed in Hawaii on Facebook, at MLTS in Hawaii on Instagram, and at MLTS in Hawaii on Twitter. Tag your posts with hashtag what school could be, hashtag deeper learning, hashtag edchat, and hashtag education. We want to hear from you. Send your comments, questions, and feedback to mltsinhawaii at gmail.com or direct message us on Twitter at MLTS in Hawaii. Our next interviews will be recorded on Saturday, January 25th, starting at 9 a.m. Hawaii time. Find us at the Most Likely to Succeed in Hawaii Facebook page. Video of each interview will also be available on demand on YouTube. Look for what school could be in Hawaii playlist on our Most Likely to Succeed in Hawaii channel. If you love this podcast series, we would really appreciate a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to help us reach a wider audience of innovative educators. And please feel free to share this series with colleagues, friends, and family. Your host is Josh Rapoon. Our technical producer and podcast consultant is Ryan Ozawa. Post-production is by Hawk Media Productions, the digital media program at Kealakehe Intermediate School. 
The editors for this podcast is Marlone Utrero. Under management from student director May Kanata. All under the guidance of media director Matthew Williams. Special thanks to photo and video contributor for our October episodes, Matthew Tom, a media and English teacher at Stevenson's Intermediate School. And a huge shout out to Ted Dintersmith, author of the book, What School Could Be, an education change agent. Now, off to your next education adventure. Class dismissed.